Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's bi-weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. This is the Thursday episode where I talk to someone in the food world I think you'll want to know more about. My guest this week is the chef owner of Ostia, an Italian restaurant in Montrose. Travis McShane, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. I always kind of like to start with the beginning of a person's career. And I, I wrote a long article kind of about that three years ago, but you've never done the show. So I feel like it's a good, it's a good starting point. I mean, tell me a little bit about how you got from growing up in Kingwood to, to working in New York for Jonathan Waxman. Yeah. So, you know, I, I did like the pretty traditional, you know, went uh, after high school, went to university and went to university of Texas and I was studying economics and uh, long story, but basically I, the first two uh, majors I thought I wanted to do, I quickly realized it wasn't cut out for, which were, you know, uh, I want to be an attorney. It's like, well, I'm not very good at sitting down and reading a bunch. So that's not going to work. Uh, and so I just kind of kept on kicking around things and, uh, I had a cousin that worked in commercial real estate and I kind of saw his career and I was like, you know, that looks like a lot of fun. Maybe I'll do that. So I ended up going and doing an internship in college at CBRE up in Dallas and uh, loved it and really thought that's what I was going to do with my life. Uh, But I was graduating in 2008 from college and there was no real estate market really, especially on the commercial side. So they weren't hiring. So it was kind of like, well, what am I going to do? So I had known, a, you know, a, a few guys there that had kind of specialized in, you know, different niche markets. And I kind of thought to myself, it'd be kind of cool maybe if I went to culinary school because I love cooking, always would cook on the weekends for tailgates and stuff like that. And maybe I'll go learn how to cook. I'll learn kind of about the restaurant business and then go back down to commercial real estate and kind of hyper focus on on you know development of restaurants and finding spaces and knowing the needs of the restaurant owner and whatnot um and so i went up to culinary school afterwards uh kind of as a postgraduate kind of program if you will to kind of look at it that way and uh went to the cia up in new york and uh part of the curriculum uh that most culinary schools have, but in particular the CIA is that you have to do an externship, a, a professional kitchen of sorts. So it could be anything from publication to uh, Disney to restaurants to catering. So I had a little bit of catering experience when I was an undergrad working for a guy uh, in Austin doing weddings and, and what have you. Um, so I thought about maybe going back to Austin and just, in, you know, bumming it around, Austin to do that again, but eh, I was kind of didn't want to make the move back and forth, back and forth. So I started kind of kicking around some ideas in New York, but they really panned out. And then a really close friend of my dad, hey, hey, does Travis uh, have his externship lined up yet? No, no, yeah, he's still kind of figuring it out. Well, I now have a buddy who has a restaurant in the West Village called Barbudo, and uh, for Jonathan Waxman, asked him if he knows him. And of course, I, I knew of him. I knew I knew his career and whatnot. It's kind of, I want to say it's directly tied at the CIA, but there's a lot of guys that are big names at the CIA, uh, like Larry Forgione, uh, 
that all kind of ties back to Jonathan and in some degree of fashion. So I, I, I'd known of him. Um, I knew the restaurant for sure, though. I had walked by it multiple times in the West Village. And so I put an application in and, uh, you know, as a celebrity chef owner that's there all the time does, he kicked it straight over to the chef and was like, here, here's some free labor. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> which wasn't necessarily free labor, but when you think about it in the context of living in Manhattan, it was essentially free labor. Um, and I did that for the summer and I couldn't, you know, I got addicted to it. I, I played uh, lacrosse growing up and then I played a little college lacrosse and working on the line was the closest thing I ever felt to like a competitive game as an adult. Whereas in a lacrosse game, you, it's brutal. It's hard. And the entire, you know, three hours of the game, you're like, why in the hell am I playing this sport? It is so exhausting and painful. And yeah, then other people the are trying to out, hit you with sticks. Like it's, it's a, uh, yeah. It's and, a you're just game. and you're sprinting left and right. And, you know, and, uh, by the end of it though, afterwards you look back and you're like, that was cool. That was a lot of fun. And that's the same feeling I got cooking on the line in Manhattan. It was just this intense, you know, four, five hours, actually it's longer. It's New York. So it was about five to midnight was service and it went into one. So we're looking, you know, seven, eight hours of straight, hard, hard, uh, line cooking. And, uh, I just got the bug. Uh, so I, on the weekends would take the train when we go back to school, I would take the train back. Uh, my sister lived in Manhattan, so I would crash on her sofa and I would go either work if they had, a spot for me that weekend or I would hang out the restaurant until the guys got off and would go hang out with them and try to just get an in with them. Um, and for whatever reason, uh, Jonathan took a liking to me um, and we really hit it off and it, he kind of opened the doors for me and uh, kind of took me under his wing. And I essentially worked for him my entire professional career in New York and uh, ended up, going from, you know, extern to the chef de cuisine, the chef de cuisine there to his executive chef for his entire company, which, um, you know, we had spots in Nashville. We had three spots in Nashville, Atlanta, San Francisco, two in New York. And so I got to kind of bounce around and do that for a little while. And ended up back in New York after Nashville, kind of bounce, bounce around for him and ended up back in New York. And then, Long short, start, short, we were kind of at a place where everything was humming along in that company at that time. And I kind of felt it was time for me to come home to Texas and do something on my own. And so 2018, uh, we, I guess it was yeah, 2018, we packed up and moved back to Houston and, you know, started the mission of opening Ghostia. I mean, say a little more about that decision because, I, I mean, there are other people who just could have like would have just stayed, right? It's a successful restaurant group. You had a lot of responsibility. I mean, yeah, you know, there's something that like most chefs, I guess, I mean, my, my days, I mean, I don't know if it was the right thing every day, but like a lot of the days I was kind of done with my work and we had executive chefs at the restaurants. I was done with my work by four o'clock, five o'clock in the day. And I was going home and it just, something didn't feel, I wouldn't say it didn't feel right. It was great. But I kind of was, you know, I was just kind of turning my wheels. And, you know, there's something about making your own thing. 
So I always knew I wanted my own small business of sort. Um, whether it was going to be a, you know, my own real estate firm or when I was a high school kid and wanted a little crush shop or whatever it was, always had that fantasy of a small business and kind of working for yourself. And then my wife and I were, you know, she's from Houston as well. And we were ready to start a family and it's kind of hard to be a chef and work those hours and do all that and have a family and be across the, you know, the nation from your, your support system. So, you know, we kicked around a few places, actually. We, we thought about going back to Austin because we both are UT alumni. Um, we thought about going to San Antonio just because it's such a cool kind of food scene. Um, but both of them, we kind of, you know, came back to the conclusion that we're not close to our family. I mean, a three-hour drive and a three-hour flight is kind of the same difference, right? And so, and so we decided, you know, let's go to Houston. It's uh, honestly the kicker was for us was post Harvey. We were coming down helping our families. So both of our families lived up in Kingwood. Both of them were flooded. We were helping out. Uh, we were spending more time in town, uh, you know, visiting family and friends. Started kind of seeing what the city had developed since my wife lived in LA from, I guess it would be 2002 to 2018 or ish or in, in New York as well. And I was in New York. So a lot had changed. And so we kind of started seeing how cool of a city it was. And we were watching, uh, we were watching the Super Bowl. We we're in Rosemary beach, planning our wedding, watching the Super Bowl that was that year was played in Houston. And they just kept on talking about, on the Super Bowl, how is the number one dining out city in the country? It's yada, yada, yada. And we're like, maybe we should seriously, you know, look at moving home. And uh, and then, you know, all those things added up. And that was kind of it. But, you know, the, the jump, though, was funny because, you know, I was I had butterflies for weeks to sit down with my mentor who, you know, basically – you know, I, I told him I was unhappy in Nashville. He's like, "Hey, I got a spot for you back up in New York. Come back." Like, he 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 was very supportive, and it was hard for me to muster up the courage to sit down with him and say, "Hey, I think I'm going to go do something on my own." And when I finally did, uh, you know, I can I remember we were sitting at table one at Barbudo, which is, you know the table that Jonathan, if you ever go there, the old one, he would always be a fixture there on his laptop working on stuff and just sitting there. And he just started laughing. He's like, it's about time. And so he, he knew it was coming and he, he kind of, I, I don't know if he was kind of planning, you know, different things as far as kind of what he was teaching me and how he was teaching me, but he, he was, I want to say ready for me to move on. Like, I don't think, you know, nobody wants to lose, their you know one of their employees but i think he was excited and it was at that moment was kind of cool i'm making the right decision and uh you know came down to houston started the journey of finding this space and converting this old you know warehouse into what it is and and whatnot so it was it was a pretty pretty wild couple years yeah i I mean did you always kind of know that you wanted to do Italian specifically or, or did you consider other styles of restaurant or, or how did you, how did, how did, how did you decide that Ostia was what it, you know, it's kind of one thing to want to go out on your own. It's another thing to decide like, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. I mean, and, and I would say like, cause you know, under Jonathan is 
it's funny because like the, the Barbudo, right? It's super Italian name, right? I mean, bearded and Italian. It was owned uh, between him and a guy uh, that was a famous photographer from Milan. And Jonathan at that time cooked California cuisine. He was the godfather, one of the godfathers of California American cuisine. And that's what he did with jams and Washington Park and uh, Table uh, 27 out in Napa. And, you know, he, that was his identity. But he happened to live in this apartment with this Italian, or not in the apartment, in a co- complex. And they happened to be friends. And he was like, Jonathan, I need you to open up the little cafe. I'm closing down the little coffee shop and I need you to open a restaurant. He's like, well, I don't do Italian food. He's like, yeah, you do. He's like, no, I don't. Like, you know, I was trained in France. I cook uh, California cuisine. And he's like, Jonathan, explain California cuisine. He's like, well, it's local, seasonal. You know, it's about a few components on a plate. It's about, you know. Right, simple ingredients executed well. It's like, uh, yeah. yeah. And so he's like, do it. And so he's like, you you know, you honeymoon and you travel to Italy every year. Yeah, yeah, you know the food. And so that's how Barbudo started. And so when I worked there, um, there had been a couple of chefs, you know, obviously that come through there before and kind of rooted in what it was. Um, and so that was like my training was just, it was Barbudo. And it was almost, at, wouldn't say Jonathan's style of Italian cuisine, but it was a, a focus of a style of Italian cuisine that, I really liked. I thought it was, you know, my dad's side of the family is all from California. I that's how my dad cooked at home, obviously in a different <laughs> different style. It wasn't Jonathan Waxman, but it was, you know, grilled artichokes and grilled chicken and a salad for dinner. You know, like that was that was what we ate growing up. And so I I kind of grabbed to it. But yeah, like you're saying, like I grew up in Houston in, you know, the nineties, late eighties, early nineties and early 2000s and it wasn't i mean there yeah tony's you had you had more of these uh you know the mandoa family all of them were here but that's you know it was a different style of italian cuisine right it's almost that american american italian cuisine that, seafood fra diablo with lump crab and giant shrimp and it's and awesome spicy tomato <laughs> and, sauce but, oh it's freaking delicious like don't get me wrong i'm not, not yeah it's but not. it's it, 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 it was just a different style that i grew up didn't i i didn't gravitate that to that type of food but this was like, you know, to me it was eye opening. Like, oh, this, and then he took me to Italy with him, and I got to see it firsthand. Of like, oh, how simplistic the food can be, but how good it can be, right? Um, and so when we were opening Ostia, you know, it's funny because we get a lot of foreigners that come here, and you know, some are Spanish, some are Italian, and uh, a lot of Mexican Americans that speak Spanish, and they're like, Ostia, like, what, what meaning is it, right? And we're like, well, whatever one you want, because to <laughs> us, like, I, I don't, I don't actually don't even, you know, it's funny because when we're opening Google makes you pick a cuisine, right. When you're setting up your business. And I was always said, look, and I want to kind of do a Barbudo style restaurant, but not be handcuffed to saying I'm an Italian restaurant. Right. Um, Cause we would do things at Barbudo. Like we use a lot of Romesco. Well, that's Spanish. Right. So we're, we're like, let's do that. Let's take the handcuffs off. And then we ended up picking, you know, picking a name. And Ostia, to us, got on our list because Ostia de Antica, the original port town of Rome, was like, oh, that's kind of similar to Houston. But then really, I loved the way the name looked. My wife typed it on uh, 
<laughs> Adobe Illustrator. It's like, that's a cool name. So some Spanish people, they think we're a Spanish restaurant. They're um, Italian people. They, you know, some people think we're a religious restaurant because it's <laughs> the Osteria of God. It's funny. So when I well, was and, picking, and Osteria is a style of restaurant, right? Like as opposed to a- Osteria is. Yeah. And so a lot of people, especially in Texas, you know, they, they get confused. Is it short for Osteria? It's like, no, it's Ostia. In Italian is a town, but it also means like the way for God. It kind of means host as well. And then in Spanish, it's more like, it's kind of like a damn or a F-bomb. It's kind of like, hostia. It's like you say right before you, you want to slap somebody. And uh, so we think it's kind of funny. that Yeah, yeah Google, open. a quick Google says Spanish, it translates as holy shit. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's pretty funny. But I, I think ultimately that's when we come down to like when I think about my food, what we do here, it's very rooted in Italian cuisine, is rooted in Italian principles, stylistically, the menu. But to us, we're kind of a new American restaurant that, that knows how to do classic Italian stuff really, really well, like carbonara, matanchanas, those kind of old school uh, classic pastas and pizzas and whatnot. But we also, you know, try to keep it new and kind of, I wouldn't say global, but, you know, we do pull a lot of influences. I mean, like Italian cuisine does from Spain and Northern Africa, uh, from Greece, um, you know, so it, it, in a way it's, it is Italian. Um, we make a lot of Italian people happy when they come, <laughs> but you know, if they, if, if Google would have let me pick the names of it a certain way, it would have been too long. And so I, I hit Italian and, uh, <laughs> after about a year a year of doing that i finally said like, you know what i can say what it is it's it's kind of you know jonathan used to always laugh and people say well what type of food is it and he goes it's my food and i think our goal is that over time we build it to be whatever food is it's it's just what they do at Ostia. it's just a, it is what it is right so so let me ask you i mean you you're coming up on your third anniversary mm -hmm. how has it evolved i mean you know, cause you, you know, you always have a plan in your head for a restaurant and then your customers kind of tell you what they Punch like the about face. that plan. Yeah. And you adapt, right? yeah. So, exactly. So, so how do you, so how do you define like, yeah. How's, I mean, how's it going? Like, you know, how has it evolved? Yeah. I mean, I think, well, one, we open the middle of pandemic, right? So stylistically just service wise has changed dramatically. Um, how we plate things and stuff like that have stylistically changed just because of covid um you know we couldn't put candles in a cake during covid now we can't it's 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 weird right so that obviously changed but also i think you know there's been things that i probably like every stubborn chef said i'm not going to do that and then you know you learn like i know houston people but you know i've been away for a long time and i had to relearn the market and, and to a degree and not change who we are and our, our principles. But how do we, you know, like, you know, I always wanted a burger on the menu, quite honestly, and we didn't do it. And then guess what? Now we have a burger on our menu year three and it does really well at lunch only. Let me say that. Um, but, uh, and so there's been things that we've added to kind of, you know, okay, cool. Like lunch in Houston isn't as of a luxury item as it is in New York where people take an hour and a half lunch break and have a glass of wine and, 
kind of three course meal. It's, you know, people in Houston work their tails off. And so they, sometimes they come in for lunch. They want to be in and out in 45 minutes, have their meeting, have delicious food and go. So we've tried to figure out ways to cater, you know, for on appearance and stylistically, it looks, you know, who we are, but giving people these options of, you know, maybe a quicker meal at lunchtime and stuff like that. But also, you know, at the beginning, it was a hundred, you know, I wouldn't say a hundred percent that that'd be naive, but it was a lot me only creating menus. Um, it was probably one of the hardest parts is when we lost our GM. Uh, she moved on to go to work on her own project, but it was really good because it kicked me out of the kitchen and forced me to go do something else in the restaurant for the time being. And it really allowed me to rely on my chef de cuisine, Ray, who has worked for me. He was an extern of mine at Barbudo. And I know he can cook, but it allowed me to kind of step back and let his creative juices flow. And then him and I can tweak dishes so it stylistically still fits me and him and everything. So obviously that maturation um, is I, I makes me actually love the food more because it's easy to stay in your comfort zone, right? But when you have, when a chef steps back and hi- lets his sous chef or executive chef or chef de cuisine or whatever you want to call it, kind of bring their influence in and you actually start getting more collaboration going. And ultimately, yeah, like you have the, you have the final say and you, you get to say, I don't, I don't want that that way. I want it this way, but it, it allows the food to open up, I think stylistically and uh, become a little bit more exciting. But then also I think, you know, three years of, you know, when we got here, there was two guys that knew how to do the roasted chicken, right? I had two guys that had worked for me in the past, but they couldn't do it every single night. Um, so it was always training people, training people to do this. And now things like the Caesar, the chicken, the gnocchi, the potatoes, uh, stuff like romesco and stuff, those things are almost automatic at the restaurant now. Like people know how to do it and how to do it right. So now attention can be hyper-focused on other things. So I feel like it's, we're getting to that area where we're starting to able to breathe a little bit more because we're not having to train every single little thing as, um, as much as every day. But, um, so I think we've kind of grown in that. And I, I, I mean, I, you know, we've had a lot of really cool cooks work here and, and, you know, when we opened, we had a lot of chefs that worked here, quite honestly, because they were either furloughed or they just wanted to change. So when we opened, I think we had three sous chefs from Houston, one chef from Houston that were all on the line as line cooks. So we've had some really cool cooks and really good cooks. Um, but right now, like, the guy, the what those cooks, because I mean, let's be honest, us chef owners don't put touch every single plate. That I mean, we touch maybe wipe the plate, and look at them, but we don't cook every single thing, obviously, right? The guys that are here cooking right now, I think, are turning out the best food that we've done since opening, which is fun. Uh, it's you know, it's fun. I mean, to sit it's what back you want, right? Cook. Like, like you don't yeah. want to be like, oh yeah, this restaurant was way better in twenty twenty one than it is now. Like that's that's not what you want. No, it's not what you want. And, you know, I was, you know, you wanted to come out out of the gate swinging and hitting home runs, but, you know, it, it's, you, you can do as good as you can do. But I think as long as you're trending up every year, then you're on the right path. Cause like you said, there's a lot of places that come out, hit home runs, and then by year three or four, trending the opposite direction, or it's been watered down or, 
you know, um, you know, there's very few people in this world that can expand to multiple units and keep every unit as perfect as it was. And that's something we've kind of hyper-focused on too, is that like, yeah, we want to do other places, but if, if this mothership isn't right and I don't think I can get it right. I, I, I don't think three years. I mean, I think that's just enough time, but it takes a while to get like your identity and your, and your, your flow and your, you know, really kind of your style and build your clientele. I mean, it's how many people live in Houston. Like you have to build your clientele and then build the restaurant. You know, they like what you're doing. You're kind of getting stuff what they like and get that humming before you can start opening your eyes to other things. So, you know, we've kind of just tried to put our head down and, and uh, like we, we kind of chatted about the other day. Like I kind of, for like the last year kind of just had my head in the sand because I, all I cared about was uh, we got to get, you know, Ostia to a place where it's, it's, you know, a, a, I don't know, maybe just like a, a, I wouldn't say a staple. That's a pretty, that's a big claim to be, but that's our goal, you know? Well, and, let me, let me say, I mean, like I, you know, one of the things I really like about your restaurant is that it's, it's, it's very consistent, right? Like I, I know that if I get the chicken or the Caesar or the crispy potatoes, like they're going to be, they're going to be consistent from visit to visit. And I also like that. It's like a little more low key than some other places. Like I know that I can typically, I can get like a same day reservation, especially, right. especially during the week, like maybe not on a Friday yeah. or Saturday, but, but you know, like popping in on a Sunday is no problem at all. Right. And, and we, you know, so my, former GM uh, Viviana was uh, a manager up in New York and she worked for a buddy of mine. It was a Jonathan disciple from Barbudo, Justin Smiley. And they had a place called, she worked at a place called Upland. And uh, I mean, it was wildly popular. Barbudo was wildly popular. But the things that I always, we always talked about that we thought was really cool about that, those places were you could, I mean, sometimes you had to wait, but you could always get a table in a weekday, yeah, weekends, good luck, but at those places, but like, you know, for the most part, if you're in a neighborhood and you're a regular and you come there enough, they, they would figure out a way to get you a table. Right. And so we, you know, we have a handful of tables that we actually don't even put online because we don't shift reservations into those tables until the last minute. So we can open up things for guests to walk in and stuff. Cause there's something about that, right? Like you kind of stop going to places that you can't get a table at. Right. And right. No, we, nobody goes there. It's too crowded. Right. Like the old joke. Yeah, ex- exactly. So, you know, obviously business wise, we want it. That's a great, it's a great place to be, but at the same time, like we want to keep our, our clientele, like, like you said, like you feel like, Hey, it's Sunday. You're out walking your dog or you're out and about like, Hey, let's go to OCA and get some pizza. Right. Um, so that's always kind of been the goal. Um, you know, the, a lot of the patio, we don't do re- reservations on. A lot of the kitchen table, we don't do reservations on unless you're doing a large party or something like that. So, yeah. Well, tell me, and so let me let me just kind of shift back to the restaurant. I mean, um, you mentioned like we, we, you know, we do kind of classic Italian pastas and stuff. They're not always on the menu. So right. how do you sort of communicate that to diners? Like, oh, you can you can always get 
don't know, cacio e pepe or carbonara or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. So it's like carbonara is always on pretty much always on our lunch menu. So a lot of the times it's people that come in for dinner, like, Oh, can I get the carbonara? Of course. Um, it's something that like we, you know, we started doing in uh, New York. It was that if you work pasta, you had to know how to make those pastas. And there's something hospitable about like somebody coming in like, Oh, can I get, you know, a cacio? Of course. Like it, that's like, to me, that's like a household pasta, right? It's, it's kind of just like a, a warm hug pasta. And so every now and then we'll throw it on the menu, uh, especially like on a Sunday or something like that, or, you know, early in the week or something like that. But uh, for the most part, we still want to take up real estate on the menu. and We don't want the menu to be so big that we kind of, it's kind of a, if you know, you know, and the servers mention it and, you know, they usually recommend their favorite version, you know, uh, like I always, if I'm out on the floor and somebody's asking about pastas, I always tell them about Bucatina, uh Matachana, which is the, you know, the red derivative of Carbonara, Caccio, all come the same kind of tree of pastas. Uh, and, you know, we're actually about to go into Matachana for restaurant week. So it'll be on the menu. We try to get people hooked on it like that and then take it away and then they can ask for it whenever. <laughs> and they can ask for it whenever and we'll make it for them, you know, and, uh, the, the pasta cooks love it, you know, obviously on a Saturday night in the middle of the hit, it's kind of funny watching them. They go from a four pasta station to, you know, eight, nine, ten pastas that they have to know. But, you know, it's uh, it's something that we've always done and always will do. And, you know, it's sometimes, I mean, adults come in and ask for pizza, uh, pasta bambini, which is just butter and cheese. And <laughs> I can't I can't fault them. It's delicious, you know. <laughs> Yeah. No, sometimes you just want that, that comfort, that nostalgia. I mean, I, you know, Tony Valone's restaurants were always like that. You know, you could go into uh, uh Bello or something and be like, Oh, I want, I want this pasta that you used to do at La Groya five years ago. And they'd be like, Oh yeah, we can, <laughs> you know, or, or this old grotto dish. It's like, uh, yeah, we've got the ingredient. We could, we'll figure it out, you know? Like, yeah. And, and ultimately like our, our philosophy when it comes to that is of course, we're not going to just make what, ever and if a guest comes in and starts spouting off random ingredients you know if we haven't made it and we don't know it's to our standard we may not always take a shot on it but if it's something that they've had here before or it's something that's pretty common or you know and we have the ingredients for it like i always push my chefs to say that's kind of like part of being a chef right it's that you have a curveball thrown at you and you go in the walk-in, you look around, you figure out something cool and you make a cool dish on the fly and you make a guest experience and you lock them in, you know, on the business side, you lock that guest in for a long time because you're hospitable. You know, that that's, that's what right, like, don't, like, don't come is, in and ask right? for like spinach ravioli. Right. Like that's, right. that's not <laughs> you know, or be reasonable, or, you know, you know, like, you know, we, we we're pretty particular about a couple things. Like we, you know, we've had guests ask for peas in the carbonara. I'm like, no, I'll make you something different, but I'm not doing peas in carbonara because it's not carbonara. Um, right, right. You know, but I will make you a pea pasta that will blow your socks off, you know? And, uh, yeah, but that, that takes time also with the guests too, to be like, hey, cool. What do you want? Let me make you something and get in their trust. So it's a two-way street, right? But, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's part of, the hospitality industry is that you you know within reason and within um standards you 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 make people feel comfortable right 
right. And I, I know you mentioned you're doing uh, Houston Restaurant Weeks for the first time. What what yeah. made you decide like this was the year to take the plunge? You know, I, I the first year it was more we opened in September. Um, so we kind of uh, started right after Restaurant Week. The following year, um, I honestly just, you know, to be honest, when you're a first year restaurant, especially that, that time period, we were so busy that I was kind of like, I, I just don't know why, why are we adding another mechanism right now? Right. Um, and then, you know, we get back to a kind of more of a realistic revenue or not revenue, but kind of stream of business and whatnot. And the first year, honestly, summer was busy. And I think partly this because we were new, but partly because COVID, people weren't traveling, right? Kids weren't going to summer camps. People, you know, it was, Houston was full, right? And so I didn't, you know, I had done restaurant week at one restaurant I had worked at in my, in the past. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't just something that I was used to doing. Um, and then I think the following summer, we kind of saw like, oh, this is what Houston's like in August. <laughs> and it is quiet and in July and it's, you know, and I get why they do it in this month. And uh, I actually, you know, got to meet them, the folks that run it a few times at different events and whatnot. And we kind of chatted about it. And I was like, you know, I think I think I'll be interested in doing it. Let's let's talk about it down the line. And I was at my buddy's restaurant in the Heights, uh, Mastrantos. And I lived down the street and I've known Xavier for a while. And we were talking about it. He's like, no, Travis, it's insanely busy and it's awesome and whatnot. And it's like, you know, obviously all the good cause that comes out of it. And I was like, all right, cool. Let's, you know, let's give it a shot. And so, you know, we reached out and like, you know, we were like, year three we're comfortable with our systems and we know what the business is like this time of year and that's you know for the restaurant standpoint that's kind of what it's there for right it's to kind of drive business in the slowest time of the year um but in doing so you're doing something that's really you know benefiting uh, a great cause and uh opening the doors up to a lot of you know new customers that maybe haven't been here because that's the weird thing that we opened in the middle of the pandemic. We missed a lot of people in the pandemic because a lot of people weren't going out. So, like, a lot of people didn't come to us when we first opened because they weren't going to restaurants. And then by the time they started going to restaurants again, there's a bunch of new restaurants. So, you know, it's kind of a, a way for us to get in front of those people again, but also do it, you know, obviously for the obvious, uh, you know, charitable part of it with the Houston Food Bank. So we're pretty, I'm, I'm actually pretty excited. I mean, obviously I only have to cook on the length one night a week. So <laughs> the guys will, will take the, the brunt, uh, the, the hard work on it, but I'll be running around like crazy. I'm sure. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I'm, I think, I think it will probably be something we do every year going forward. So. Yeah. And I, and I like that. It's the, it's the stuff that if anyone was coming to Ostia for the first time would be the stuff yeah. I recommend. Right. Get the Caesar, get the bruschetta, get a pasta, get the chicken. Like, okay, there you go. It's all on the HRW menu. There, there you go. It, and that's, it, it was, you know, we, we talked about it, like, would we do this, this? And like, well, you know, why don't we just give them the hits? As we always jokingly call them, you know, just play the hits and give it to them. I mean, like, what's the point of doing, you know, it kind of goes back to my philosophy of Valentine's Day and, and all these special holidays. 
why do you change who you are and what you're cooking for these days when people want to come experience who you are, right? So if people are coming to come experience who we are for the first time, we should give them who we are, not a watered down small version of who we are, something just made just for that and, and kind of showcase what we're proud of. And, um, you know, I was able, you know, when I submitted the menu, I didn't know if they were to improve it because I was pretty, I wouldn't say vague, but I was, I lose my, my ostia vagueness with uh, bruschetta with summer topics because our menu does change so much that I didn't want to be tied into a bruschetta that I said I was going to do when that product was no longer good by the end of August, right? So I wanted to be all like, cool, we can tweak it as we're tweaking our menu at the restaurant. It's part of our restaurant menu and not just be locked into a, a tomato toast come end of August with the tomatoes are terrible, right? Right. I, I can say that that is probably the biggest difference between Katie Stone, who took over for her mother, Cleverly Stone, because there is there is no way in the old days Cleverly would have let you get away with that. <laughs> Katie, Katie's a little more, Katie, Katie's slightly less of a hard ass. Katie's a little more flexible. And I think she likes us a little bit. So I think she maybe, maybe she was a little lenient, but uh yeah, so I mean, it's you know, there's a chance that like the this the seasonal gnocchi might change a tiny bit, and um, you know the the bruschetta might change a tiny bit, but I mean, you know, pizza Bianca is going to be there. The chicken and the potatoes and the Caesar we know aren't changing. So, uh, yeah, it should be. I, I mean, I would I would come eat it, <laughs> but I I probably like you know I, I probably will come eat it at some point. So you you sort of mentioned you're you're three years in. You're starting to start to think about maybe another restaurant. Do you have a sense of what you want to do? Would it be like Ostia, but in a different part of the city, or do you have other concepts that you think you'd like to do? I don't know if we would ever do another Ostia, just in the sense that this style of restaurant takes so much presence to work because it's so, um, you know, it, it's a really a, a chef-driven style restaurant. And it's relatively large, not massive, but it's a medium to large size restaurant. And it takes a lot of uh, presence to make it work and to work in this, to the, the level in which I want it to be. But I, I always look at Ostia as kind of like a ball of threads because we do a lot of different kind of things. And so I think different, if we do another concept, it'd be pulling a thread out of Ostia, right? So whether it's a uh, hyper pasta focus, you know, style kind of tavern, you know, almost like a true trotteria style restaurant, or if it's a pizzeria and it's just, you know, a couple salads, like one or two salads and pizza, uh, that kind of style, uh, it's probably more attractive to me just because, um, I mean, you can ask probably Justin Wu this. He can't be at every single one of his restaurants at every single moment, right? And and I've seen this con this style concept kind of tried over multiple locations, and without the right DNA, it, it, it there all the time. It's so simple that it can go bad real fast, right? So that's I always kind of relate our style of service and food to like. Uh, card, uh, magic card tricks. You know, it's one thing to go to a show and see all the big things, but when the guy does it in front of you, 
with a deck of cards and he like blows your mind is really simple. But you know, if he screws up a little bit, it's kind of a bad trick, right? So uh, right, it's one thing so to make yeah, the Statue I mean, of Liberty disappear. It's you know, yeah, another yeah. thing to know that I I pulled the Ace of Spades or whatever. Right. So you know, I think things like a pizzeria or a you know a small pasteria or something like that, or it would kind of it would probably be. I would love it if we ever did another space that somebody would walk in and be like, "Oh, this reminds me of Ostia a little bit," but it'd be different, right? Not like, right. oh, this is a carbon copy of Ostia in Memorial City, right? Um, but, I mean, you got to be getting some grief from your family to do something in Kingwood. Uh, well, so they've all moved except for my in-laws. Um, yeah, you know, more for my buddies that have moved back to Kingwood um, that don't want to drive from Houston to Kingwood, get their family turned around and come back. Right, um, right. But, but I mean, it's, that is such a food desert and, and I feel bad for the people cause it's a great community. Um, it's, it's hard because you don't have the professional, um, crews there. You don't, you don't have as many cooks, you don't have as many servers, you don't have those things. So it's really harder to operate. I mean, uh, talk to like Tony Mandola who owns, uh, Mandola is up in Humble. Who's been there for? Not Mandela's. Uh, was it? Uh, oh gosh, Amadeus. It's been uh, Amadeus. Tony Tony Raffis, Sorry, Amadeus. He's been there for what thirty five years, and he's he, he. I mean, he'll tell you it's it's hard to do something up there, but you know the right thing, right place, the right time, right maybe thing, maybe one day. Um, but I want to be able to drive there. That's kind of the thing that I've always said. If I do multiple locations, you know, I I want to be able to get from place to place in a given day because yeah, you can't be there all the time, but it's nice to be able to get there at least for part of the day, every other day or something like that. And it it would be you know if it's too far away, it'd be kind of hard. So we'd probably focus more on closer into town, maybe a little bit out out to the burbs, but not nothing crazy. But I mean. Uh, you know, but that's so, I'm going to say it's so far because, you know, you always got to have to kind of be you know, eyes open to things, but you know, nothing, nothing's in the works and nothing's on the table right now. We have, I have concept decks for a bunch of different places that I have always made and have ready in case the right place pops up at the right time. But, uh, yeah, nothing Green, in the Green works. Cooper likes to tell me he has, uh, a dozen restaurant concepts at what he calls 75%. And then if yeah. you ever find the real estate, uh, and sign a lease, you can go from 75 to 100 pretty fast. Yeah, and, and, and that's kind of like, maybe it's what happens as, you know, you, it's kind of like creating menus or whatever. It's, it's fun to sit down and kind of create a concept and a vision board of what it would be like. So we have a few of those kind of tucked away, saved on the desktop, but uh, nothing nothing in the works right now, but, uh, you know, not not against to the idea of it now when you know that's 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 always the million dollar question but all right well we're we're running a little long so i'm i, I mean i've 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 asked you about everything that i i was thinking about do you have anything you want to talk about that i haven't asked you about oh i don't know i mean i would say you know we're, we're like we're, we're talking about the th- three year we're gonna 
we're trying to do something now. We get it's a lot more logistics than we thought. You know, it started as a seed, and then it's kind of grown into this idea that we're wrapping out our third year. Is that we don't try to pull together some type of fun block party uh, that maybe turned into something that we do annually. Um, so we're trying to work with you know a few people right now, kind of figure out the logistics, but basically opening up doors at Ostia to you know turning pizzas out in the parking lot and grilling stuff out there and having spritz bars and wine tastings and and live music and stuff like that we, we're still figuring it all out but kind of a, it's a celebration of uh three years but you know instead of just oh you know coming in here on a monday with the employees and and turning up the music loud and having a good time uh, <laughs> we we decided maybe it'd be fun to celebrate it with the people that kind of been coming here for a while and then put a charitable aspect onto it where, you know, there's uh, uh, different, you know, whatever it's a ticket event or you buy tickets for different things while you're there and the proceeds would go to a charitable um, focus. And uh, so we're, we're in the works of that. It'd probably be, you know, September 25th is our uh, anniversary that falls on the weekend of chefs for farmers or Chef's Fest, I guess, and not Chef's Fest, Chef's Fest. And then, uh, you know, we have to work around a couple other things, but maybe maybe a little, a couple of weeks after that, when the weather is hopefully not as warm too. Uh, but we will, we'll keep you, uh, keep you posted about that as that kind of formulates. Yeah, for sure. You know, and uh, you should try to get a, maybe a special guest appearance by celebrity chef Jonathan Waxman. Yeah, I, I got to figure out a way to, you know, short of kidnapping him, getting him down here. You know, it was it's uh, a <laughs> guy. The guy's a busy guy, um, but we're we're working on some other things that I think would be pretty cool with that. We're, we are trying to work on some uh, import dinners, import wine dinners instead of just hyper focusing on a, a winery in particular, maybe a whole portfolio and then doing those correlated with a chef. So uh, guys like uh Jake Lieber up in New York. Uh, it's cool. Some cool restaurants, Lick Crocodile, and it's got three stars in New York Times, and Jonathan Waxman, and some you know some other fun people uh, to kind of tie together, uh, kind of the wine and stuff, and again, kind of turn it from a, just a wine dinner to a, more of a charitable dinner, but bring in some guys like Jonathan and some other big names if 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 i can convince them and but also just friends friends to come over maybe guys like drake leonard's and stuff like that just let's do some yeah. collab dinners and 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 open up some bottles of wine and have fun so yeah i'd be i'd be in for all of those for sure yeah all right well before i let you go we have to play the lightning round five easy yep. questions five short answers just say the first thing that comes to mind travis mcshane what is your favorite ingredient Fish sauce. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Uh, Pat Green. Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Akeem Olajuwon. What is the last TV show you binged watched? Seinfeld every single night. <laughs> and finally, <laughs> what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Oof. Probably the Baconator from Wendy's. It's a solid answer. All right. Give us the, the <laughs> website and the social media for Ostia. Yeah. OsteaHOU.com and OsteaHOU for Instagram. 
Awesome. Travis, thanks so much. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.